The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect that of the Up Together organization. I'm Candy Marie. And I'm Mena Diaz, and welcome to the Moving Up Together podcast. So to me, one of the most beautiful things about this country is the diversity of immigrants that we have in this country, right? We were founded by immigrants. So I love that. I love that we have people from all over the world in this country and the sense of community um, where people are seeking a better life for themselves, essentially. I couldn't agree with you more, Mena. Exactly. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, which is a fact-based research data-driven public platform, it states that the United States has more immigrants than any other country in the world. And today, there are currently more than 40 million people living in the U.S. who were born somewhere else. I'm talking 40 million people. That's a lot of people. Like, I had to stutter because that's so many people. <laughs> 40 million. Listen, that's a large number. Right. And one thing about our immigrant community is, again, how we help each other. We come together. We help each other, whether it is with um, where to find food or resources, schooling, um, places that can help us if we have language barrier, how to find jobs, and also how to learn the little nuances of American culture. Our guests today know all about that. Sophia Annala is a full-time college student from Yemen, now living in Oakland where she helps families get access to needed resources. And Gerardo Olvera was born in Mexico. He now lives in Las Vegas, where he helps families navigate the legal system. Sophia and Gerardo, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, we like to shake things up at the very beginning and have a little fun with our guests. So I want to start with Gerardo first, and I want you both to tell me a fun fact that the people should know about you. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That was not expecting that question, so it's going to give me <laughs> Oh, well, um... Okay, well, fun fact about me, I am 5'2", short man. Don't know if that's a fun fact or an embarrassing one, but hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one. It's all good, though. You know, it's uh, fine because you got yeah. a lot of power behind you. You're fighting the legal system, getting things done. You know, it's a lot of power. We feel it. Yeah. See. yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. And how about you, Sophia? Yeah, that's a nice question, actually. I love horseback riding since I was little. I enjoy it. My dad used to take me once in a month uh, horseback riding. And then when I came to the U.S. since um, 2012, uh, it's been a while and I've been longing to see a horse or ride a horse. And then finally, uh, three years ago, I found this marvelous place. It's a daily city, Marvesta, stable for horses. And I go there once in a month again and I just feel awesome and that sense of being free while you're on the horse near the beach you heal you feel the wind comes through your eyes and body it's just amazing feeling wow i mean i think we all created a visual in our mind of mar vista like that place just sounds beautiful i can just picture the black stallion right right <laughs> anybody see that movie <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Oh, my God. Thank you guys both. Those were some uh, really cool fun facts. Uh, thank you, Gerardo and Sophia. Now, let's kind of, you know, shift the conversation just a little bit. Let's be honest. Most of the media coverage about immigrants that you see here in the States are about people from Mexico and other Latin America countries. And a lot of those stories aren't positive. We'll get into that a little more later. But Sophia, you're from Yemen. And stories like yours aren't told a lie. 
For those who may not know, tell us where Yemen is and what it's like to be from a place like that. Absolutely. This is a very important question and bring, bringing this to the public is very important because a lot of Yemeni people are trying to survive day to day the challenges not because they're immigrants, but also they have other family members living at a war zone currently in Yemen. So Yemen, it's in the Middle East. Specifically, across uh, from Yemen, there is Ethiopia. And the middle, in the middle, there is the Red Sea. So that's the exact location for Yemen. If you were to open Google, it's right there. Um, most of families coming to the U.S. and they're striving for a new beginning, a safe location where they can get education for their kids, uh, get a job to provide for their families, not only for their families in the U.S., but if they can also support their extended family back home, whatever resource they can do. I know families work more than full-time jobs, day and night, just to get you know, basic needs. First of all, thank you for sharing that and being so transparent um, about sharing that experience and painting a picture for a lot of people that um, don't know. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. And Geraldo, you were born in Mexico. Um, what part and how was it that for you? I was born in uh, Mexico City, um, same place my parents were born. Had a career there, was a nurse, you know, had a good, you know, had good parents, took care of her. Um, met my father, who also had a good job out there, but because of the situation that the country faced and they knew they could do more, they knew they wanted more, they come out here and start a new beginning. My my dad started here, you know, he came here first, kind of set the foundation, wanted to get a home, wanted to get had an American dream, really. Right. Earns money, collects money, like Sophia was saying, sending money to the loved ones in, in a separate country, supporting those who, you know, can't be supported. And then asked my mom to come out here. It was a big decision for my mother because she had to give up her nursing you know, career. She went to school, sacrificed a lot of time for her degree and decided to start over because of us. You know, we, we, we crossed the border, you know, like anybody, you know, can't do it legally did. And um, we, we did it at a young age and, you know, it, it's a very uh, confusing at first to know that you're not, you don't belong and think you don't. Uh, so it was a very, uh, you know, rough transition, but of course, once you get the reasoning behind it and you get what, what it's like, um, you definitely, you definitely feel proud of who you are. And how old were you when, um, when you came here? I was four years old, five years old when I came here, turned six. Uh, my birthday's May 1st, we arrived in February. So my first birthday here, as it was five, that's right when you enter kindergarten, mm -hmm. right? enter the education system a lot of people may seem all oh, you were just a kid but i was a kid who didn't speak english so yeah. it was yeah. a very different transition and you know instead of learning my colors and learning my shapes i had to learn the basics yeah those abcs yeah. <laughs> i mean enough for nothing i was born here but i didn't speak uh english because all we spoke in the household was spanish so i get that i i, I feel that i remember those first days of kindergarten so definitely and um sophia what about you? How old were you when you came here? And what was one of your first memories when you did? So I am currently 36 years old. And if I would open the camera, people would be surprised because I look like 25. Hey. <laughs> I guess it's genetics. 
Um, so it's been nine years since I came to the U.S. now. So I came when I was pregnant with my child, seven months pregnancy, and uh, everything was new, shocking. Um, a single mom at that time, too. I just left my husband. <laughs> my marriage was arranged marriage and decided to end my marriage because it wasn't fit. And, uh, and I've always wanted to come to the U.S. Uh, so before I come to the U.S., I got my citizenship because my grandfather used to work uh, in the um, in, in ships and in, in old Navy sort of thing. I'm not sure of the story, but that's how my family got the citizenship, like as honor, you know, and I'm very thankful for that. So while I was being raised in Yemen, I've always wanted to learn English. <laughs> so I would watch all these cartoons, movies, and see how they're pronounced. And, and people would say like, oh, your pronunciation is, is great. Like you don't have accent. I was like, I worked hard on that while I was young. <laughs> so when I came to the U.S., that helped a lot. And I always wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to be a writer. And um, after being a mom and having a child when my daughter was two years old, um, she was diagnosed with autism and it was shocking. Uh, my whole world shattered and I was in a limbo, like in a dark space, didn't know where to go, where to start. I just stopped my classes for a while. And then I said to myself, I need to figure out what to do with my future because <laughs> I have to attend to my child first before getting into my dreams and my goals. So from there, started childhood development major and it was very rewarding. It was the best decision I made in my life and I'm thankful for that. Next spring is my graduation with my bachelor degree. And after that, hopefully we'll continue to do my master in speech pathology. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing both of you. Um... I love the sense of pride that I hear in both of your voices. And, you know, Sophia, you said something, citizenship is an honor. Um, wow. Like that just kind of set on me for a second. So with that being said, what do you think are, are some of the biggest stereotypes about immigrants or even first generation Americans that we often hear or see? What are some of the things that come to mind for you? Um, a, a stereotype that a lot of, um, that we hear often is that, um, because you're, you don't have the documentation or the proper documents, you're not capable of doing things that others are. Now, uh, of course, documentation-wise and financially, you may have a step back, but the will to work and the will and the pride, like you said, to do whatever needs to be done is always there. And, and I met one of the most hardworking uh, people born in the United States, same as I've met one of the most hardworking people who weren't born here. You know, the drive is there. Um, you know, we've made it into a number, we've made it all the importance of your life just being a nine digit social security number. But once that door is open and one that once that once you've passed that threshold, the you know, the sky's the limit for opportunities and a lot the stereotype that I wish that could be broken is that just because you don't have the proper documentation doesn't mean you're capable of something. Typically you're automatically disqualified for a lot of things, scholarships, money, opportunities, loans, credit cards, you know, the name of the smallest things that people take for granted um, disqual are, are not available for those who are. So, cause you see a lot of Latino immigrants or even immigrants in general struggling. It's not because they don't work hard enough. It's just that that's the best they can do at times. And they're proud of, proud of what they have. You, you have, you know, 
people who have you know an old car older generation car but it's so clean and so beautiful and they keep it and you say well you know well if you do such a great job why don't you just buy a new one sometimes that's all it is so you take pride in what you have and i and i feel like the the it, the, the will is there and the power is there it's just a matter of having that opportunity amen and, and just listening to you one of the things i thought as well is like it's not because you're not deserving of those things you know, and, and we keep hearing certain words like honor and pride. And those are consistent things that I'm hearing between you and Sophia both. And I love the sense of pride you have. And, you know, I see that all the time, you know, with a lot of my friends. And it's so interesting when I think about the, the friends that I have that are first generation, the work ethic. And it's because they take honor in having citizenship. They take honor. And, and just like hearing from both of you, in the opportunities that are presented. You know, you take honor in the things that you have, regardless of the way that someone else might look at them or the value that it might hold to someone else. So I love that. And again, thank you also for sharing and revealing that to us. Um, the same question goes to you, Sophia. And then also, uh, I wanna take it a little step further. You know, I also wanna know how that impacts you. How do those stereotypes make you feel? You know, how, how do they impact your family? So in general, the stereotype is again these immigrants are coming here to take our home to take our jobs and they're useless they're not educated um they're taking all the resources or the funds you know all these things that we're hearing but from the other end of the spectrum for these families there is this pressure that we need to match we need to constantly working hard constantly like um being worried and not feeling, you know, that we are appreciated in the community. We're not welcome enough in the community. And imagine that, with that being said, how would a woman with a head scarf or a hijab on her head day to day going on public transportation, getting these gazes from head to toe, like, what's on that? What are you doing? What are you wearing? You know? And then some other people like approaching that woman saying to her like take that off or like go home what are you doing here <laughs> that's interesting because such comments used to hurt me a lot when I hear them when I used to take the BART when I go to school but eventually I kind of build that shield around myself and I just smile at their ignorance saying to them this is my home like your home whatever they say after that out of, it's like my ears filter it, you know, I don't hear something else because I kind of build that immunity, you know, I, I learn not to be effective. I need just to focus on my life, on my family and in my community. Because when I say community, I don't mean only Yemeni people. When I look at the community, I look at it as a holistic approach. I mean, my neighbor, whether they're Mexican, whether they're African-American, whether they're white, I see community as a whole. I see human being as equal. So that's what I do in my life. I love that. Absolutely. Mena, I wanted to get up and run around my kitchen just then because she got my spirit lifted right? and she's right. That's yeah. what community is all about. And that's why, especially this episode, I mean, I love all of our episodes that we've done, but this one touches a heartstring for me because this country was founded on freedom from persecution, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. We, we didn't mean this or we didn't mean that. So it's the fact that she said encompasses her whole community, her neighbor, Everyone. her, you know, wherever their family is from or whatever. That's exactly the 
the tr- the type of thinking that we need to have more so um, than the latter, right? Right. So both of you guys are super involved in your communities. So Geraldo, I want to start with you real quick. Uh, you are pursuing a career as an attorney. So hey. <laughs> And um, right now you're helping folks uh, navigate through that system. What what stage are you at currently as far as, you know, achieving your, your career goal? And um, how are you helping um, people navigate that that system currently? Yeah, um, I am currently, um, I, had, I was going to school to be uh, for a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. My goal was to go straight into the bar. And as Sophia was mentioning earlier, um, you know, like you have to set the bar being a, you know, a child of immigrant or first generation, because to your parents, you know, being coming in this country, it's already huge, you know, but you need to do more, more than they could ever. And they always implement that ideology with you and that mental state. So when a lot of times we see a lot of people rushing or going faster, work harder, work harder, like you guys were mentioning earlier, the work ethic, it's, it's more of like a, like a social pressure, I guess, in a way that we have, but it's a good one. It's not, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's you need to become better. You need to do this. So I went to school for criminal justice, was almost finished my degree, um, had my daughter COVID hit, so I had to stop a couple credits away from finishing. So once I'm done, I'm going back to school next semester, hopefully take the bar. I currently work um, at the family courthouse, so I love getting a lot of learning experiences and a lot of, of course, learning every day, every, new experiences. So that's where I'm at at this point with my with my degree and uh, we help people you know do things that they couldn't do unless they had an yeah. attorney so we're a nonprofit organization who, who implements the idea that everybody needs to have one opportunity and if you have it you get it done so uh, that's where I'm at at the stage of my degree or career I guess I don't know if you can answer this for me but are immigrants who are whatever stage of that they're reaching they need a lawyer one isn't necessarily appointed to them correct? That, that doesn't work the same way like for citizens in the legal system where you are entitled to a public defender. That's not the same for immigrants, is it? A lot of times it, it's not. It, it very, very specifically uh, varies based on your situation and the kind of case you're dealing with. So you can go from criminal case, a family case, a civil case, an immigration case. So different courts, different procedures. But uh, I, I will tell you that in a family court case, regardless of your legal status, a family attorney is not directly assigned to you because it's not a criminal case to where the state is accusing you of something. So therefore you're entitled to an attorney. It's somebody like a father filing against a mother or versa. So it's a civil matter. It's considered a family matter. Therefore you want to hire an attorney. That's your decision. You can represent yourself. But of course we talk, we, we, we go into that, that threshold or that, that, that wall of language barrier, you know, you have a, a, a father who has money, who, who's mm-hmm. been here all his life, threatening the mom who wasn't born here, saying, you don't have any legal rights, I will take the children from you. And the father has, you know, never ever taken care of the children. Whatever the case may be, we have a lot of these situations where the language barrier, or I guess the, the, the fear of being undocumented or being an immigrant is always there. So it's not, like you said, it's not typically assigned to you, but, you know, there's organizations out there, there's help out there, there's people there who specializing in these kind of situations. We have pro bono projects all over the country. We have a free talk to a lawyer programs you can sign up for to at least get some kind of consultation or guidance to where to go or what to do, especially when you're in an emotional distress or something happened with this person who made you believe that they'll take care of you for the rest of your life. And suddenly the switch, something switches, something turns around 
you know, you, you're on your own and you feel lonely. You feel like no one's there. There's, there's people out there. And Sophia, same question to you. Uh, you're super involved in your community as well. Um, can you tell us some of the things that um, that you do um, over in Oakland? Absolutely. So I worked with the uh, organization to support families, and that was uh, the area plan organization. And through the organization, I learned about Up Together. And I entered in the orientation in how to apply uh, for the fund that uh, families can apply for. And uh, I host two Zoom meetings in order to teach moms how to fill out the uh, survey. And I encourage them to be honest and transparent as, as much as possible because this is a valuable study. And they don't have to bring like the pink and beautiful picture and the questions because what determined the uh, fund's eligibility is the income. So I was happy to see families getting back to me and say like, hey, we got accepted. Thank you, Sophia, for helping us. That just made my day when I hear these comments. In another perspective, after um, I needed to finish my school, so I stopped working with the organization. However, I'm pretty involved with parents. I have my own group uh, at, on WhatsApp. I called it um, our special kids, our, our special children. So I have about 28 moms. All of them have children with special needs, mostly autism. We get together every third Thursday of the month face-to-face, -face, speaking about all our challenges that we're facing. And uh, we sometimes have the, the resource navigating organization coming over and guide us through, like, what are the services that are available? So that's what I try to do. I try, I'm, like, the con trying to connect. My main thing is, like, getting these services handy for these parents because as immigrants coming to this country, there are so many barriers not knowing the language, not knowing how to use technology, you know, how to get to the resources. What's the best education for my special need child? Some of them like lived for years and they didn't even like haven't heard about the regional center. You know, it's the first path to get all the services for your special need child. So that's my focus now. Um, and it just when I do this for others, I see the impact on my life. Like I see like there's blessing, there's happiness and it's rewarding. It's just like contagious. I can't stop doing it. So my dream is that I can get much and more services for these families so they can do the same for other families as well. You know, I hope that continuing. And I would like also to highlight some points um, regarding these immigrants who are coming to the U.S. as well. So, as you know, living in the Bay Area, the uh, living cost is very, very high. Rents is increasing every year. And, like having your own home would be like a dream. But in other states, it's, it's doable, you know. And when immigrants come to the U.S. and they come to the Bay Area, they think like within a few years they will achieve the American dream. <laughs> So this will take a toll in them until like they get older and their kids have to go to school and then they end up in more debts, you know, to get good deg degree. But if they were to go in other areas, there is this balance and it's manageable to get good job, good income. So I, I love to have more connection with these organizations because up together is, is a very important factor in the equation because they cannot lift 
the uh, the pressure a little bit from these communities and create source of balance for the family to keep going you know on the ball rolling to live day to day so i think i think that's important to talk about yeah yeah and i and i love how both of you guys are super motivated um you know through watching your parents work super hard so you can go ahead and do something more with your life and and go beyond their expectation um same thing with you sophia just being able to be have that understanding as a mom because a mom translates to any country any language and anything you know you want the best for your children and there's so many programs out here to get help with um especially if you are in the situation where you do have a child with special needs you know and having you guys here to just be able to connect these families and help both of your respective communities is super impressive i mean seriously hats off to both of you appreciate it thank you yeah, Mena, because that work is so important and it's needed. And, you know, I think it just helps so that you don't feel alone. A lot of times in our communities, we feel alone, especially I, I can't even imagine what it's like, you know, coming from another country and then settling in and, or at least trying to settle in. So, again, hats off to both of you for seeing a problem and creating a solution. Now, I do want to add just a little more fun for just a quick second. Are, are you guys familiar with the musical Hamilton? Uh, I'm not. You tell me about it. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, there's a very famous musical on Broadway called Hamilton that I highly recommend you guys check out. Um, but there is a line that says it's really astonishing that in a country founded by immigrants, immigrant has somehow become a bad word. And unfortunately, that's sad, but it's it's true. And I know that's something that everyone you know, on this broadcast understands and we feels tremendously, you know? So with that in mind, if you could tell our listeners one thing about immigrants or the immigrant ex experience, um, what would you say? Let's start with you, Sophia. So if we, to pair it with negative vision, of course we will think in a negative way. But for me, the way I see the word immigrants, it's just like adding spices to the food. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's actually nice. I like that. Nicely put. Very nicely put. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think. I mean, I'm. I'm proud of being. I'm proud of being an immigrant. I will always hold up to it. I will. I will die on the mountain. I. I can't change who I am. I never will. And um, it made me who I am today. I. I feel like if I was born here and wasn't so socially disciplined by my community, I don't think I would have the drive to do things and just be settled for less. And I'm not saying settling for less is a bad thing, but when you know there's more potential out there um, because you've been socially disciplined by your parents, your community, your aunt, your uncle, everybody who's told you you can do better. It, I actually have a, so me and my sister are in a DACA program. We were brought here when we were young, as you guys know, and we've always wanted to embrace being an immigrant, but we, 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 we got a matching tattoo of an alien because the word alien to me is more gives a more negative connotation than immigrant. When you're called an illegal alien, that, that kind of sets the tone for how you see immigration just by saying it. It's a legal term, yeah. So me and my sister got it. Actually, we have an alien tattoo, uh, matching alien tattoo. We were going to get a border around, but we have an alien tattoo that matches, that kind of signifies our um, our connection, how close we are. One, because we, we, we were, we're in this together, but at the same time, how we were proud of. And when people ask me what that tattoo is for, it's not because of a video game or a show, it's because I'm, I'm in the DACA program. I'm happy to say that. 
and I'm not scared to, you know, show who I am because it's made me who I am and that's okay. I love that. I salute you because that's how you change the narrative. That's how you take some a negative stigma that has been placed on you um, with no fault of your own and you flip it and you make it your own and you give it strength. So I appreciate and I respect that. You know, I, I'm like, let me go give me a tattoo too. Let me get, <laughs> you know, like something that signifies, like when I think about like, like I come from a very disenfranchised community as well. And I think about a cape when I think about the community that I come from. So, you know, we all have to find ways to um, find strength in our stories because at the end of the day, all of our stories matter. Yeah. It's crazy to see how somebody's eyes change when you tell them that you're, oh, what's that alien for? I like your tattoo. Oh, because I'm, I'm DACA. What's DACA? Well, let me kind of give you some information. And all of a sudden, now there's a label on you, right? Is it a good one or is it a bad one? It doesn't matter to me because I know who I am, what I'm capable of. But sometimes we have this special group of communities who don't qualify for that program, who can't get the residency. So now they're seen different when in reality, you don't know who somebody is until you look at a documentation. So you're walking down the street and you want to label somebody as an immigrant, you don't know that person. So if you're not somebody who can qualify them as that, and everybody should always be, in my eyes at least, everybody should be seen differently unless otherwise told by that specific person. So I just think it's crazy how, it's like advertising something, in my opinion, when they ask me what it is, you tell them, sometimes their tone changes a little bit, sometimes you can see that they feel a little bad, but at the same time, it doesn't matter because it's who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And a label doesn't define you. It's just simply a chapter in your story and you're writing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of stories and chapters and telling people, you know, what, what, you know, what they need to do and standing up. I get so excited whenever we do this segment. (laughs) We've had some gems. (laughs) Yeah. I know we're about to drop some gems um, called free game and Minna is going to take it away. Okay. So this is going to go for both of you guys. So free game, basically you are schooling uh, government officials, uh, nonprofit organizations, anybody who you really want to direct a piece of advice to. Um, Geraldo, since you work within the legal community, is there any nonprofit or, you know, even like, a, you know, government official that you'd like to give some advice that they should or should stop doing or, you know, they should do more of? Um, I mean, not here locally, I guess, but, um, you know, out I guess federally speaking, um, you know, every single one of those centers out there who once supported a narrative that we now know um, was, was used for propaganda purposes. I like to emphasize that it's okay to admit when you're wrong. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to change your narrative and change what you know. Uh, we all do it and um, you, no one is here to judge. You know, we weren't judged when we were, we came here we weren't, uh, you know, we're doing what we're doing and it's okay to change your opinion and it's okay to support what you believe in and do not let what you believed in a long time ago get in the way of who you can become because when you start to change what you think of because of what you know now, you get step into the shoes of the immigrant community. You know, you come into this country thinking things aren't gonna roll well and when you start doing what you love and you start finding passion in things that you know you can do, I say this to everybody who's anybody who supported that propaganda back in the day, really, and who was filled with hate against a community you didn't really know. I like to say that if you really get to know that family, you really get to know 
what these people consist of and wonderful people that create this beautiful community you will you will change your narrative completely uh sophia what about you what a uh, piece of advice or free game would you give a government official nonprofit organization basically anyone who is out here trying to make a difference what kind of advice would you give them great question i love that so as i spoke earlier about how difficult for the head of household to provide and uh, moms also wanted to have you know some sort of independency and have income, you know, to provide for their families. And these moms, they're not necessarily willing or can or have the ability to sit behind the desk and, you know, do like simple work. However, they're very talented when it comes to cooking, you know, um, baking, sewing, uh, doing these like soap, like essential oil things. So I would love for these moms to have training, you know, if organizations or government officials can fund these people to have their own independency, to have their own small businesses in order for them to provide for themselves and their families. Because at the end of the day, the, the, the purpose of that fund or that help is for them to be independent, you know. There's, I love the saying, like says, don't give me a fish every day. Just teach me how to go and fish, you know? So I want that for them. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's some great advice. That's some great free game. Very, very powerful uh, free game. I love it. Thanks, guys. Now, Sophia and Gerardo, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your stories, your powerful stories. Up next, we'll talk to Janet Ira Arlo, a mother and grandmother who assists international parents navigate the public school system in Boston. Thank you again so much. We appreciate your time. And we thank you guys for listening to the Moving Up Together podcast. Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.